spokenly. He lurked in the shadows, waiting and hoping she wouldn't take a different room. This was a usual room. He knew that. He knew her. Ghost of Me, the new book by Amanda Steele, can be found at Amazon, Kobo, Waterstones and many, many other places. Spokenly. Hi guys, it's Andy N. Thanks today for downloading or streaming yet another episode of Spoken Label. As you may or may not be aware, Spoken Label was started in the beginning of 2006, and currently we have well over 150 sessions recorded and sent. Although you can find it on various networks, the full archive is available for streaming and downloading at Spoken Label. Full stop, bandcamp.com. It is a free download or free stream in there. But obviously, if you feel like chucking me a few pennies that way, it'd be eternally grateful to help me keep this podcast going and keep improving my equipment, etc. Enjoy. Speak to you soon. Bye bye. Spoken label. Hi guys, Andy N. Spoken label. Back in the house on a Wednesday early morning. I've got, a, I've got a writer from London with me today, but she's not originally from London. And I'll let you get your guess at the accent in a minute. Joe Harkershaw. And I met Joe originally at Mel, Mel Woodend Wardle's night over when I headlined for her the other month. And it, I was really impressed with her when she went, she went on the, um, I've got the word for it now. Oh, not the Zoom. <laughs> the competition at the end of it. I thought she should have won it. So she thought she was very, very good. So, Joe, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell everybody, obviously, who you are, where you come from, and what starts off all your writing. What we'll takes time from there? Oh, fantastic! Thank you very, very much, Andy. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm Joe. I'm a, a poet, um, and I'm uh, I'm originally from from Scotland, which I'm I'm glad you said you can tell from the accent because the accent wanders all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I bet it does. Because you, you told me you've been in England what for fifteen years now, haven't you? So, yeah, about fifteen years um, in in. Uh, in London and, and you know my mum's kind of Irish English as well but I grew up in Scotland so and I've worked with a lot of Americans and lived with Americans and my yeah it goes all over the place yeah you've got because <laughs> I know I know I've worked with a few people that are Scottish and I know two Scottish writers your accents are a lot softer certainly in some like it's have you Give found that when you taught some Scottish people yeah oh yeah <laughs> putting that in roll yeah I can imagine yeah, what happens I mean, actually I, I sort of find it, it it really zooms off when I when I get in with with somebody from particularly from someone from exactly where I'm from it just sort of turns up uh, massively and I absolutely don't mean to do it but I suddenly catch myself going oh I'm, I'm talking slightly differently now. I think it's, it's natural sometimes like because I'm Mancunian by birth and, and I've always lived in Manchester I've travelled around a lot and I've had it before mm. now where I've mm. met people like you said like, I've got part of family in London when I've gone down to see them and I've met some of their friends and I found out one that was Mancunian by the time mm. I finished it they were like me again so it is I always it find is, it interesting the way people sort of change depending on who they're talking to and, and you know there's a kind of empathy there I think that we we tend to slightly match how we talk with the people that we talk to we, we sort of become a little bit more formal or a little bit more casual and it's I think it's making connections yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think it is I think it makes it does it seems to come natural to you like it's a trigger in the human brain, doesn't it? So it's very interesting. Mm. So, but obviously about yourself, I know you came to yes. London 15 years ago, didn't you? Or so, yeah, or so. something, something about that. Um, yeah, I, I came down to, to come to, to university and I, I sort of grew up um, 
as I say, in, in Scotland, very much in the middle of nowhere, um, which was incredibly beautiful. But when you're sort of 19 or 20, as I was, it was, oh, I need to get out, I need to get to the city, I need to see things. <laughs> and um, I got really lucky, actually, because I, I came down um, I came down to, to, to university. I thought, well, university is a good way to, to get out. And at the time, I didn't quite know what I was doing with my life, as, as one tends not to when one's 20. Oh, yeah, thought, you well, do. You get to that stage, like, it's, you're just reacting, aren't you? So well, I'm going to say, do you need to get into your 20s and then to get a better focus sometimes? So. So what did you study yeah. at university then when you went to uni? Well, I, I actually, I wanted to do film because I absolutely love films and love cinematography. And I came down and I thought, I'll do film and I'll do film with, with English. So I thought, oh, English is nice. I like reading books and stuff. That'll be fun. Um, and I, I sort of snuck in because I didn't have any A-levels. I dropped out of school when I was 15 and I'd done little bits of courses here and there. And so they sort of, they let me in in clearing, kind of going, oh, well, we'll give you a go. And um, I was really lucky in that I, I went to St Mary's University where I now work and there were some amazing people there. Uh, and it was it was the English department that I sort of absolutely fell in love with and just went, oh, this is, I was so welcomed there. And I loved it. And I quickly dropped the film stuff because I went, no, I want to read more books. I want to find out more of these stories. I want to hear this, <laughs> this whole world. I sort of really got enchanted by it. Yeah. Were you writing poetry then before you went to university when you were very young then, were you originally? Mm. Yes, yeah, poetry and, and stories and, and all sorts of things. I think being only child growing up in the middle of nowhere, I spent a lot of time making up stories and half of them I would write down. Brilliant. Um, Did you have any sort of favourite? Oh, God, I used to have one of them. I've got one of them when I was about eight or nine. I was dreadful with it. The amount of tipex <laughs> I used to do to spot tipex every night, I couldn't get it right. Oh, yeah. still got some of the manuscripts. And then I had um, a PCW here in one of them. An abstract oh, PCW. Oh, was... I never, I never got to a computer. <laughs> it was, it was not until I came down to London actually. Like, you know, oh, you know, I can I can print stuff out and all kinds of things. But <laughs> you can um, save it as well. Yeah, much more. Practical. I know it's magic. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, completely. Now, obviously, when you were growing up, then did you have any sort of favourite writers that inspired you to want to write? Or um, oh, that's that's an interesting one because I'm actually an incredibly slow reader. I, I'm sort of a, a bit dyslexic, I think. Um, you know, I've never properly been tested, but I can kind of, I've, when I've subsequently read about that, I've been, oh, that's what it was. So it was very slow writing. But I was very lucky that I grew up in a house that was full of books. And, you know, I think I was given some sort of nice poetry anthologies for kids that got the pretty ones. And I remember sort of Robert Frost reading, reading people like that I, as a I child. I love Robert Frost, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stopping by Woods on a snowy evening was my sort of bedtime Bedtime poem favorite. Oh, please, can we have that one? Can we have that one? Go on, you know. <laughs> um, I love Christina Rossetti as well. Oh Island yeah, Island. I love Goblin's Market. Oh, yeah, oh, I, I don't know if you've been following that. I do. I have read the series going up every week on Sunday Tri Sunday Tribune, where people mm -hmm. actually send in do tell me their favorite writers and how it influenced them. And I love yeah. it when somebody recently did, did Christina Rossetti's Goblin Market. Oh, and that was I hadn't read it in years. That piece, a fantastic piece. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. And I, I, I had, um, I had a copy of David Copperfield, which is what I would read at bedtime. And, <laughs> and when, nice when light reading. Thought, it was, but the same was, I mean, people sort of get quite impressed when I say that. But I read about a page a month. <laughs> I was so slow at it. I just loved it, and I kept just going back to the beginning. I just loved the, I don't know, this little world and these little characters. And I'd probably seen one of the versions on telly or something, so all the characters were in my head, and I knew the story. But. Um, yeah, I just, I had these few little things. There was something slightly magical about these stories to me that I would just come back to them, sort of almost a talismanic power that you can 
slip right into this world and it's just there waiting for you and it's so reassuring. I think good, good poetry is like that in a way because I think that's, Dickens is very good at that. He's, he's very yeah. good at me. He's been a novelist with the heart mm. of a poet, if that makes sense, I think. So <sighs> I think for what you know, what I've seen your influences, we'll come on to that in a more in a minute, mm. but I, I can see where you, you've gone for the quite, you've got the classical literature stuff. Mm. I guess you've, the novelists with poems in them really and we're going to come on to that now, aren't we? Because I know yeah. at the moment you're doing a PhD still at the moment, aren't you? And that started off originally, and it obviously shows you a love of Gothic literature of Mary mm. and Percy Shelley. Now, yes. two questions on this for because I know your PhD's changed focus now. First yeah. of all, where did your love of Gothic literature come from? Oh, so I, th- I think I'm very much my, my degree, I sort of discovered it all. Um, Mary and Percy were really big for me the, the Shelley I told, I'm on first name terms with them now we're, we're buddies <laughs> um, I actually I, I came across Percy Shelley uh when I was a teenager um I was living in Dublin for a while and I was absolutely you know, dropped out of school didn't have any focus on my life didn't know what I was doing hadn't yet thought of university and I I remember get picking up a Dover Thrift Percy Shelley for like two euros and reading wow. it just, oh this is amazing and I said, that was kind of there in the background for a long time. I was going, oh, I love that these poems are amazing. And then I went to university and we did Frankenstein in my first year. And, oh, my head was blown. It was fantastic. And then it was, it was, it, we'd been reading it for a while. And then I suddenly went, hang on. Wait, she's married to this guy. Wait, this, so all these poems I love and this book that I love, they're, they're being written in the same house at the same time. Why is no one talking about this? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And I was so fascinated to know how that happened and that the idea of the two of them, and I was, I was instantly just really captured with the, the idea of the two of them sitting there, sort of side by side, you know, looking over each other's shoulders. You know, how, what was that relationship like? And um, I remember, you know, I went, I went to various kind of talks and things, sort of wanting to find out more about them. And I, I remember talking to um, a really, uh, really brilliant um well, scholar in general, Richard Richard Holmes gave a, a talk who, who's written a famous biography of, of Percy Shelley and all kinds of other things. And I, I remember going to a talk of him and saying, Look, I, I'm interested in knowing about Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley together. What was their relationship? Is there a good book you could recommend? And, and he said to me, um, oh, there's, there's not really been a good book written about them yet. Maybe you should do it. <laughs> and it was this wow. amazing book. It was such a throwaway thing. You know, he doesn't he didn't really know me at all. I was just an enthusiastic undergraduate standing there going, Oh, tell me the story, tell me the story. Uh, but it snuck into my head. And so it, it, it's sort of I think I think Mary Shelley sort of led me through a lot of gothic, but I mean Percy Shelley's poetry is so gothic as well. There's so many sort of grim dark stories of dark nights and and lovers lost and all, all of that yeah you can see it can't you like it so even though like he she lived many years beyond him he died fairly young but i've read enough of the work to know yes. there is a massive similarity and they clearly whether she copied him or he copied everything they bounced off each other there was i think sometimes don't you when you see writers that live together sometimes you can see that sort of him with that connection and get those mm. two are a real, really good example of that to me definitely yeah, and, and absolutely what you're saying there, that kind of, oh, did he copy her? Did she copy him? That, I think that's what the, the discussion has been for so long. Whenever I was looking it up, it was sort of people saying, oh, you know, Percy Shelley was this genius and his wife just wrote this silly little novel, or it's, oh, Mary Shelley was a fantastic feminist and, and she has 
really brought down by this patriarchal husband and I I can neither of these things. No, I don't right. think it is. No, I think there's a, like, there's a middle ground somewhere in that. There is definitely so. Yeah. I've 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 just gone and ordered and I'm not read it yet. I must admit, is um, the science fiction novel she did, The Last Man. Oh yes. I've not read that yet. So, but oh, what, you're in for a treat. Oh, well, I see <laughs> recommendation then. I take it. Are you familiar with much of her other work then? The Life of Frankenstein. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, I'm so uh, as I said, I, I teach. I've ended up teaching um, at St Mary's and teaching particularly sort of Gothic um, and 18th century stuff, romanticism, all that good stuff. Um, I'm actually going to be teaching the Last Man uh, to the undergrads in a couple of weeks, and I'm I'm so so thrilled. But it's it's an incredibly um, for those of you who've not heard of it before, which is probably most people. <laughs> it's it's not one of the more fed people don't know. No, everyone knows Frank- Frankenstein. Yeah, definitely yeah. Frankenstein. Everyone knows Frankenstein. Like beyond that. Yeah, and like, um, like she wrote, what is it, four or five of her books, didn't she? So. Yes, yeah, she did. And, um, you know, I've got I've got a couple of favourites. There's a couple of them, eh, but, a couple, but I think The Last Man particularly is um, so obviously written in um, in the 19th century, uh, but it's about, well, it's about a plague in the 21st century. So reading it right now is slightly unnerving in this time of pandemic. That's what that's what I wanted to get it, because I've read, I've, read about, I've read about it a couple of years ago, and I thought, myself, we're in a pandemic, I thought, why not read that? Yeah. The book predates it almost yeah. completely. Um, but it's it's a lot about um, about kind of different models of governance and about kind of um, you know, she, she's a really political writer as well, which I think is often overlooked. But and she sort of has different models of different forms of leadership. Um, I, I, I mean, she's very she's very pessimistic. I think this is the, the thing that people always come back to with Mary Shelley is that she's not her her like. Percy Shelley has an element of utopianism in him. Like he's he's desperately trying to find that that beautiful, perfect future that we can all work towards. And, and it doesn't always come for him. And sometimes you can see the conflict in his writing where he's falling over himself, but he's so determined. No, come on, you know, the one of my favorite Percy Shelley poems is The Mask of Anarchy, which has this Yeah, brilliant stuff. Fantastic. Love Mask of Anarchy. Because I first heard about Mask of Anarchy when I got involved with um Phoebus Beast about Peter Lou in Manchester. And it's that's come up and it has been mentioned at many occasions now. It's obviously the same timeline. And that yeah. poem's a fantastic piece, it really and is. It's been used so many times politically, which I find fantastic. You know, um, I think Gandhi quoted it and it's been quoted in, you know, in Tiananmen Square. Um, it's it's part of the I mean the, the Labour slogan, I can't remember if it's still the Labour slogan at the moment, but for the many, not the few, is is a contraction of it the probably, it probably is in one way or another, basically to answer yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that that famous line for Percy Shelley, he is trying to rally people and say we could do this, you know, rise like lions after slumber, slumber and unvanquishable yeah. number, shake the chains to earth like dew, which in sleep <laughs> fell on you. For we are ma- they are, uh, we are many, they are few. Yeah, and just this sort of like, come on, we can do this. Oh, always remember that line did when I studied at A level no. and oh incredible yeah. poem. Absolutely incredible. Now obviously moving forward a bit more in time now, but obviously like I said yeah. before, they started <laughs> off as this is your PhD, didn't they? But obviously mm. now you now and you tell me off the mic before your PhD is about to finish it. And that's yes. now something different, isn't it? You want a different direction. So I began this as a you know, in in, in English literature as kind of a as a scholar and going, oh right, I shall scroll through the manuscripts and I shall do this um, academic referenced text of how this happened and oh she wrote this and we know that this happened and then we can see that the ink changes and then his handwriting takes over and all this stuff and I was was sort of going through it and I was really pleased with what I'd found but I was also kind of going 
I'm a bit bored of this. I don't really want to read it myself. <laughs> and I thought, how would I want to read this information? <laughs> I said, well, I, I want to read novels. I love reading novels that are grounded in truth. I love reading novels that are in some way educational. And that sounds horrendous. You know, oh, educational. But, but I think all novels are educational. We learn things about the word when, world when we, when we read. That's why we read. So I thought, well, maybe I could write this story as a novel. Oh, uh, and it was ridiculous because it was halfway through my PhD. I'd done about two two years or something, um, and it was it was a friend of my fellow fellow PhD student, um, and she just she was just saying, "You know, you're doing the wrong thing. You know, you're a novelist, and you should be writing a novel." <laughs> and and I was I just sort of sat there, and it was just this sort of oh, the truth had hit me, and I was going, "Yes." I am a novelist more than I am an academic. You know, I, I love doing research and I love teaching, but I'm, um, I don't quite have the academic mindset. What I do have is, is a storyteller mindset, and I love, I love that. So I, I sort of very sheepishly went into the university and I spoke to um, uh, in a chap there called Peter Howell, who's been an absolute kind of legend to me throughout. And just went, what if I wanted to change my PhD? <laughs> Oh, wow. And, and bless him, he was the hero who went, we can make that happen. We can make that happen. And, and so it all kind of shifted. I, I moved into creative writing. I got a new creative writing supervisor, Ross Schechter, who's been an absolute legend all the way through this. And it's taken slightly longer than planned, but it means that now I'm here with this, this novel. So, I've, yeah, I've, I've finished the writing. I've written an 80,000-word novel, 20,000-word critical reflection. And wow. in two weeks, I will be having my Viva. Oh, God. See if I can <laughs> pass it. So, yeah, it's been an absolutely incredible journey, actually, to get to this. And, and one where I'm actually really happy at the end of it. I'm really proud of the work that I've done, the, the choices that I've made, and that I've got this novel um, sitting there ready to go out into the world. No, I can't blame you. It's like I said, obviously, if people are wondering about the novel, obviously you're carrying on your theme and aren't you about the Shelleys? That's just people are clarifying that. So, yeah, yeah, def yeah it's, definitely. It's about love. their lives. It's just giving giving voice, painting that picture and saying, so then Percy's sitting here, Percy's sitting at this desk, he's writing this, he leans over, Mary, what do I do about this? She's you know, just dramatising that, seeing it come to life. Yeah, it's an incredible aspect, what you've done, like I said, to go and write effectively an 80,000 word novel on that, mm -hmm. on, on face it, a well-known topic like that. And do two mm. years that's some go but it's not fiction it's non-fiction that's the research yeah. you must have put into that must have been absolutely phenomenal it's it's been five years of my life yeah <gasps> <laughs> wow <laughs> wow wow no brilliant oh brilliant no i can't blame you good luck with it definitely <laughs> now i know obviously people are wondering you have bought out a collection already haven't you some years ago which you did with your mm. was it your mother and your then partner, now husband, just get that right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so, so let's start that then. Songs of the River, please, and next year. Yeah, Songs of the River was a little thing. Yeah, it was um, 2013. Um, I put together a little collection of poetry, and I've, you know, I've always, I say, I've always written poetry. And I think actually, when I came to London, I started performing poetry, and that was a big, a big step for me to actually. Like, that was a big sort of breakthrough of a way of sharing poetry because it always sort of seemed difficult publishing poetry. That's always been a vast and confusing thing to me. And so many people want to read the classics. And of course, why, why shouldn't they? But adding a new voice is, um, is very difficult. And then I thought, oh, you know, I just went and performed because, you know, I'd done bits of performing before. 
And I loved that. And that went really well. And I, I sort of thought, well, I'd, I'd like to bring thing, bring a little book along to say to people, oh, here we go. Um, so I put together this little book and it was, you know, once I started putting together a book, I thought, well, I'll get some friends involved. So I got my, I got my mum involved. Uh, got She put in some of her poems and um, and my partner, absolutely. He put in some of his and it's a little illustrated thing. Um, yeah, we, we just sort of put it together and it's no particular theme. I've done a couple of books since then that I've, I've had a focus and had a real kind of um, uh, narrow view of, okay, this is about this, but Songs of the River was just a little collection of uh, pretty pieces that came to mind, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'll get you completely of it. I can see some of us dangling around as well on Amazon if people are interested. Like it's, <laughs> there's one that's a Ukrainian edition of Witches of Ira Falls, I can see you. <laughs> there's a Ukrainian edition? Well, yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is available is, is some kids' poetry because I, I, you know, I, I teach creative writing and I go and do workshops. And um, that, again, it was a kind of it was the workshops came first, and then I thought, well, actually, I want to have something here, and so it's part poetry workbook so that kids can learn different different ways of doing poems, and part just um, silly poems about witches because who doesn't love witches? <laughs> the gothic oh, theme is running through. <laughs> of course, yeah. I'm, there's loads here, but no, but no point going for those. A number of it I can see. So I think the most recent one that I can see was Creative Voices of Uganda. Does that sound about yes. right to you? Yes, absolutely. That's well, very new. Tell us about that one then. <laughs> obviously, we, we need to um, talk about your more modern, recent work, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, actually, so the thing, um, I think, I mean, actually, there are, there are probably two books I would really like to mention. One is the Creative Voices of Uganda, but I think the other one I will come back to in a second is The Darkness and the Dawn, which is um, more of my own writing. Creative Voices of Uganda, um, is a it's not really my poetry is the first thing it's um it, it so hang on where do I start with this story starts in lockdown first lockdown uh back in back in March last year uh 2020 and all of my teaching went online I'm doing lots of teaching I thought oh well okay fair enough and then that was a sort of moment of oh well like actually now that I realize if I can teach online I can teach in other places I can teach further away than just down the road um, and I ended up getting in touch with a, a guy who I've, you know, I think I've been big sort of Facebook friends with for a while um, called Jude and he runs a community centre in Uganda and he was saying look all of our schools are closed and I was like oh well if the schools are closed you know you've got an internet connection do you want me to teach the kids some English and I'll just kind of give them something to keep working on for now and it turned into um, this ongoing course, uh, sort of series of eight-week courses where we do get kids, sort of mostly um, teenagers. And it was sort of this absolutely fantastic thing that we we're just doing on, on Saturday mornings where there's me and then I'm on the Zoom screen and all these um, these kids are, are crowded around this one screen in, in Uganda, you know, so far away, uh, writing poems. So mostly in that book, um, it's... The poems of the kids themselves and I put together the book to raise money for the community out there because you know, they've, they've got one computer between the lot of them and um, I think you know conditions are pretty pretty rough out there particularly in the pandemic uh, and all of the art was donated by by artists and lots of them lots of artists that I know took on commissions and drew portraits of the kids um, and there I mean there's some gorgeous gorgeous artwork in there uh, and yeah it's quite it was lovely reading poetry from, from yes from from kids and and seeing the, the difference because you know I, I see kids 
you know, teach lots of kids over here in local libraries and so on, and they, or they would come up with the same sort of stuff. And then seeing, yes, it's the same sort of stuff, all, all so wow. far across the world. Wow. You know? um, but then those little differences too. Um, and there's, there's one in there who particularly writes some kind of um, political poetry and, and he's, he's absolutely incredible. So yeah, I mean, I, I strongly recommend that book to anyone in the most <laughs> selfless way. Just, just go and go and read it because that there, the poetry is, is astonishing for these talented young people. Okay, now the other book we're going to talk about is The Darkness of the Dawn. Now, yes. I'm giving people a little tip here now, and I don't embarrass you, I'm going to say this. Yeah. The book's actually quite a good price on Amazon at the moment, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I can give people an even better price, better tip, which is that the, for anyone who's interested, the, the, the ebook is free. Oh, is it? Um, oh. It absolutely is. Um, this is a book um, about mental health, uh, about depression specifically. And I, I had, you know, I've had various bits of mental health over the years. And um, how many years ago? A bunch of years ago. I'm actually having a look here to see what, when, when on earth did I actually write this? It was, anyway, a bunch of years ago, I had an absolute massive crash. And it was really, really bad. It was, um, and I got out of it. And then I wanted to be able to tell people about it. And I think the biggest thing that I thought was that in that time when I was so, I was so depressed and I was so frightened and so confused and just feeling my world crumbling around me, I didn't have any way of communicating that to people. And I thought, oh, well, maybe if I could put it into a book, I would at least be able to hand it to my friends and just go this, by the way, <laughs> this is what I felt. And, and maybe there might be one person at some point who would have, who would be in that place and would find this book and be able to point to this book and say, this is the thing. Um, and it was really difficult to do. It was really, really painful to do. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, to I think you're looking at that sort yeah. of project. Mm. You wouldn't know, so I've got, I'm, di I'm diabetic, so, and I'm halfway through my book, mm. about my daughter, I've got diabetes, and that's took me probably about eight years mm. to write, and it's still not coming together now. Mm. It's just, I think mm. sometimes you're doing that sort of, project are so close to you I think it's the most difficult thing to write sometimes yeah yeah absolutely but it's also the most rewarding thing yeah and I mean this I've I've read this a lot so it's it's a series of sort of individual poems but the, there's a longer version of them all kind of cut together that I, I've, I've performed sometimes um and that without exception is the poem that people will get in touch with me about and say, oh, you know, that, that is where people have, have said, you like, thank you for that. And that, that is the most incredible sort of thing. Um, I once performed it and, and then a long time later, you know, somebody bought the book uh, at the little, you know, it was a, it was a um, I think it was in um, Word Search in Sutton, which is a lovely little, lovely little night that I often go to. Um, uh, Sarah Hobbs runs and, uh, you know, chap bought the book there and he just said, oh, it was lovely, thank you. And then he emailed me um, about six months later or something like that. And he said, um, like, you know, I really appreciate you writing this book because this is the first time I've understood what my wife is going through. And, oh, wow. and he said he'd given it to her and she'd given it back to him saying, can you now read this? And this is what it is. And and I mean, I absolutely 
sat and cried for a few hours. <laughs> oh, no way, yeah, completely. It's something like it just breaks your heart when you hear stuff like that completely. But, oh, wonderful, yeah. good story. Now, obviously, um, and obviously you said before you've been doing some, you have been doing readings over time. How, just last mm-hmm. thing, last put one thing before we get on to, I'll let you plug yourself, your links in a minute. Yeah. But um, oh, obviously, yeah. how have you found them doing readings in person to Zoom? It's, it's such a different beast, isn't it, over the past oh, year or so? Yeah. yeah. It, it took me quite a while to get into doing them, actually. Because um, I, I love I love performing and I love I love getting up on the stage and actually talking to people. I, you know, there's so much, something very isolating about being a poem, poet, just sitting, being a poem. I like that. Oh, yeah, completely, completely. <laughs> you know, but you just sit by yourself and you just write it. And then, you know, I, I, I share a lot of my stuff online, as I say. I'm, uh, Traditional publishing is, is too exhausting for me. <laughs> so, yes, for a lot of people online. nowadays, I want yeah. someone to read it. Somebody will like it. I go, oh, great, that's nice. But I love the actual reading. And then transferring that onto Zoom. It's it's strange, but I've come to really enjoy it. And it's a different thing. And once I've kind of got my head around it being different, um, I've really gotten into it, actually. Yeah. And I like sort of yeah. setting up my background and doing, oh, I'm, I'm going to sort of put nice things in place. I'm going to put a little plant <laughs> here. I'm going to put some lighting here. Um, and I, I think this is kind of the cinematography stuff that I was into back when I was a teenager. I start going, oh, yeah. I can. <laughs> I, all I have to do is one shot. <laughs> I get really into that. No, um, completely. Yeah. It is very different and it's it's not for everybody because like, I know people, no. I'm sure you do, with paritis, that I've done it mm-hmm. once, twice and locked on, hated it and never gone back to it again. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there, there's also something I think quite nice. I mean, I, I work with a lot of um, a lot of young poets, you know, a lot of, and I, I suppose I mean the word young in terms of young in their career, people just are starting out. Um, yeah, young compared to me and you, basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and, and a lot of them are really nervous about getting up on the stage. And I said, well, actually, I think I think some of them are enjoying doing it from their bedroom in a this isn't quite the stage yet, and but I'm still I'm getting to, I'm putting my work out there. So I'd sort of recommend it for for anyone who's maybe a bit nervous about taking the step onto the stage. Say maybe try it from your bedroom first. That's uh, not bad. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the same with you there definitely. When th- hopefully things start getting lifted in the next couple of months, we may be mm. able to get back to doing live live events again. And in mm. some ways, oh. it's probably going to brought more people forward, to give the confidence. To actually yes. step out there and do it, so absolutely. But I think as well, I don't. I'm interested in your opinion on this as well. Is do you think then Zoom nights will carry on? Then I do. I can see it. It's open, open different market up, hasn't it? So, oh yeah. I mean, I I hope a lot more things exist on Zoom, exist online. Um, I mean, I mean, for instance, I, I came to that event um, that, that we were at your word, which is. Uh, you know the other side of the country <laughs> just, yeah. not quite it's, the other side but it know, was like, almost, where it is that's mid- yeah that's west midlands way like i'm way above that and you're way below yeah. that so it's like yeah. the twain to meet yeah absolutely i mean like this you know this course i'm teaching in uganda i couldn't do that in person because you know i happen to live five thousand miles away <laughs> far it is. slight slight problem though yeah but i i hope that there are these and i, I guess i still hope also that we get back into the pubs and, and the stages and everything and that we can still have those nights where we do all get together because I, those are fantastic but I would like to see a parallel to two venues on online venues and, and real world venues because sometimes you don't want to get out of your pyjamas do you? No. 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 <laughs> Some days it's nice just, just going back after work finishes 
you're working at home, just boot the laptop up and go and sit in on a night for something for a few hours. It's fantastic, I have, yeah. I have slightly enjoyed the lockdown, I've got to say. It's yeah, so I have. In some, <laughs> in some ways it's worth it, in some ways it's not. Yeah. I think there's been good yeah. and bad things, because certainly in my case, I can, I don't know what you're like, you're writing. I had absolutely tons of incomplete projects knocking around mm. over the years. And I've, mm. last year, I think I finished about four of them off. Five things yeah. that have two thirds yeah. complete. And I've just bought up one now, actually, a high to a haiku book. That's been dangling around for about nine months now, it has, and finally oh, finished it. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's give you that space when you're at home and all to focus on that sort of stuff. So yeah. I mean, actually, I think I've probably been less creative in lockdown. I think I've been more comfortable and I haven't I haven't gone out doing the social stuff and I haven't exhausted myself so much. Um, but I I do I need to be out. I mean, I I write on the train. That is my big writing place. Yeah, it's this sort of liminal space. You're not quite anywhere. You can't really do anything. So you just go, oh, I can just sit and scribble and let myself be influenced by whatever might be drifting past the window. Same for me with that. I think when you're in trains and stuff or buses, I get a bus to park. Sometimes I get a bus to work, someone's a train when I'm in the office. But Mm -hmm. you're in a neutral space, I think. And if you're at home, sometimes you get too comfortable to sit down and start writing. Yeah. I mean, you have to be outside sometimes to do that. So, yeah. I'm like that with reading as well because I tend to read a lot when I'm going to work and from work and not writing. Mm. When I'm at home, yeah. I'm usually gabbing my partner or messing around, just getting life to get in the way in the flat, in it? So, or whatever <laughs> it is. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. definitely that. <laughs> anyway, Joe, well, what we'll do, we'll conclude this bit because um, we'll let you go and get yourself composed for a few poems for us. If people want to find out more about you, where are the best going? Um, so I think the main the main two places are um, either my Facebook page where Harkershaw Poetry, which is where I generally spraff whatever is going on in my head, um, or my my website, which is um, harkershaw.wordpress.com, which is just a little a little blog where I have interviews with poets, um, my video poems, bits of links to this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Also check you out on Amazon as well. You've got Casella. You do have a number of books on there as well. And books and all, and all, all that stuff. <laughs> Definitely. So brilliant. Okay. Well, let you take a quick break then. Um, and hang around, everybody. It's Joe. I love Joe's poetry. So I'm looking forward to hearing this. So see. Thank you again, Joe. I'll see you all in a minute. Thank you. Spotlight. Hi, guys. Andy N. Still here with Joe Harkershaw. Joe's going to do a few poems for us now. Over to you, Joe. Thank you. So my, my first poem here is called The Word Is Not Enough. And it's very much about life in lockdown, which we've been talking about already. Um, And um, yeah, it's kind of about being a poet in lockdown and how I'm shifting my feelings on the written and spoken word. The word is not enough. We take pride in ringing phrases and in carefully sculpted truths. We've implied and exculpated all our reasons and our proofs, whether the banks and governors have called on us or condemned our outspoken cry. We are proud to be the poets. That I will not deny, for it's a a noble calling to be a writer, to be a wordsmith. But in these hours of isolation, my faith in these words shifted. A text message was once a scroll in the Library of Alexandria. Some one good soul, some keeper of the books, some guardian librarian had scanned the first edition of Byron into PDF so that I can command the assemblance of pixels upon my screen two centuries later. And his brilliant laughter breaks across the calm of Lake Geneva. And I, who was born to nothing, can read for free and be a poetry professor. 
It is extraordinary. And yet, for all this glory, these words are not enough. Despite the years of lexical improvement, despite moving phrases like roses in a bouquet, despite the well-honed rhymes and all those times we have worked from afternoon through midnight morn and dawn to catch the inspiration of first sunlight, it is not enough to be a poet, to tap, tap, tap on the keys, to unlock mysteries and hieroglyphs upon a blank screen page that somehow, astonishingly, centuries of learning have awoken. Years of education and dedication have formed into this complex system of signs and symbols, a second nature to our mind, written words that bypass the eyes. You cannot hear the process and there is a fraction of a second between the spoken word reaching the ear and the magnificent brain's analysis, decoding, turning words to meaning. It is a miracle, these words. But these words are not enough because there is one person six miles down the road I cannot hold in my arms. And my God, it is tough to realize that after all of this, words just aren't enough. His voice on the phone is less than half of him. His emoji scattered messages do not sing the way the cadence of his smile sings. The narrowing and widening of eyes exposes wordless feelings, a pupillary understanding for those like me who have studied his eccentricities. Over years of intimacies too many and too minor to be mentioned, friendships, drunken evenings and long haul emotional journeys, his speech is sharp and clever, and he can deconstruct with cunning speed the riddles of antiquity. He can enlighten the darkest concept with conscientious understanding. But the moment of our communion was the night when, without asking, we left the pub, our friends still laughing, and he, without asking, wrapped his arms around my shoulders without asking what was wrong. And all my nouns and phrases would have failed attempts at a reply. I inhaled the lapel of his jacket and let my tears soak in to what is so much a part of him. I miss you, my friend, my brother from afar, and I have learned that words are just a fraction of all the wonder that you are. Fantastic. I'm great. I'm glad you did that one, because hoping you would do that today, because I remember you doing that one over when I first met you over at Mel's Nights very recently, and that was the one I thought at the time. I thought, wow, no, brilliant start <laughs> no. of that. Thank oh, you. I'm made that we did that it's one. It's one that's so. still a little bit emotional, I think, with that one. It's still yeah. a little bit. What I like about what I like about that at the time was the there was a deep emotion in the piece, but also it wasn't mm. you didn't you didn't lay it too hard, you know, too heavy on your heart, if you know what I mean. You held back mm. a bit and I thought that gives it more more power sometimes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. We're not going to ask you any more deep questions about your pieces. <laughs> I'm not that cruel. <laughs> okay. What's your second one, Joe? Uh, second one, I'm going to do an old, an old one now. That was one of my newest poems, that one, as I say, about, about lockdown and everything. But this one is a very old one from Songs of the River. It goes way, way back. And it's just called Morning Song. Morning Song. Four circles of the old, bold cheater's clock this morning has rung me through. I'm pensive, the pen rests a while. I'm so wide awake as the familiar spectres of Mala's dying children drift ghost-like through my brain. Pale as the iris of my eye, in which is envisioned the waking blush of day. From the small black box at bedside, a honeyed voice tells me that the nighttime songs are done, put away in their day box until darkness falls again. And a younger voice steps in, toast still clutched in hand, and gaily dances Schubert across the airwaves to wake the morning man. The concertier slips home, carefully wrapped against this bitter morning, 
as the revelers, the taxi drivers, the watchmen all are swept up by street sweepers, exchanged for better things. Grocers, vendors, photographers, and businessmen from abroad, their faces flabby, moist, and frog-like, unhardened by the day. I suppose I sympathise, for 2,000 words have poured already from my pen, and of these barely 20 hold in quality. Yet everyone is precious to me, my infant offspring, gazing up at me, the black ink on the white, my pride and joy. But now I close the book, my work is not truly begun. For these sweet deceiving words are not but the fancy of my head, and they do so very little to deliver me my daily bread. Yeah, it's a complete change in tone to your old piece. So I think, do you think over lockdown it has changed the way you write anyway? I think it has really, hasn't it, of all writers? Yeah, I mean, probably, I don't know, to be honest, to reflect on my own work, I, I'm, I think I'm a bit too close to it now to, to sort of, to see it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe ask me in five years' time and I'll probably... Yeah, I think so, definitely. Yeah, through the same for me as well, when I look back at my lockdown work thinking, oh, God, you were a miserable bugger then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Anyway, we'll move straight on, okay? So... Yeah. I'm, okay, I'm what's your third one, one? Joe? Another old one, I'm afraid, um, but this this is one of my, my little favourites, and um, we were talking at the beginning about sort of poems that you love from childhood, and I was talking about Robert Frost and so on, and, and this one is one that I wrote so long ago that it has become that familiar to me, but it's it's that comfortable and that cosy, and I just slip back oh, into it, um, and this was, you know, uh, probably one of the, the earliest um, poetry workshops that I attended. And it was one of those ones where they sort of said, oh, you're going to write a poem about your childhood. And I was sitting there going, oh, I'm not ready to do that. <laughs> those, Here, throw your heart down on the page. And I sort of was, I wasn't ready to write any kind of uh, true story about my life. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll write the magical realism story of my life. Um, so this one is uh, simply called Barefoot Child, Climb Towards the Moon. And, and once again, it's from Songs of the River. From the darkened window waiting, she sees the soft moon, baiting children to come and play amidst the downy rays that shape and hide the sleeping night now brought alive. Leaving the house as she embarks, she feels no peril of the dark. Through the high grass field, run lightly. Through the shadow dark wood, run soft. Forest pine pins make a gentle rug for tiny feet in the glorious dark. Oh, barefoot child, climb towards the moon. Beneath her weight, the ancient giant moans, but limb by limb his height he yields, raising her towards star fields. And the cosmos, trembling, growing bright, baptizes the child into the night. With the moon water, his drops reflect the glowing goddess as she blesses. So believe in nothing and love the earth. This is the story of your birth. Well, that's beautiful. Oh, wow. Just a tender piece as well, that then. It's a, it yeah. shows, I think, we obviously you wrote that piece. Were you still living in Scotland at that point then, were you? I think I just left. Yeah, I I I your, your Scottish accent came through to the fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering that then. Yeah. You said that before, you said at the beginning, so your, your accent slips all over the place, but it did in that yeah. piece then. But no, it was beautiful. Absolutely mesmerising. It's probably because I've been reading it since I had a much stronger accent, and so I just instantly get, I think, that's funny, though. I was unaware. Um, <laughs> right, okay, we said four or five today, so should we do two? Go for the five, then, shall we? You've got two well, I've got, I've got one, yeah, I've got, I've got one more to do just now. 
Yeah, and I think then people are wondering if you're going to try and find a fifth one to message across us afterwards, aren't you? So yes, yes, I am. Um, so this is this is just a little um, a little love song kind of thing. Um, I, I do love a good sad love song, um, and sometimes people go, "Oh, who's who's that about?" and, and everything, and, and and I'm annoyingly just very happily married. Um, but I still love writing a good, heartbreaking love song. I think we all do, don't we? So, well, I love poems or something that goes wrong, don't you? Because we're miserable. Yeah, absolutely. Got to be a bit miserable. Um, yeah, so this, um, this is called Your Eyes Are Never Where I Want Them. Your eyes are never where I want them. You always look away. And you shut me from your mind, my love, because you know you cannot stay. You leave like a shadow that the wind has drawn and silence is the gown that you wear. But you leave with a sigh in your sorry blue eye and regret in your grey golden hair. A wintry wind sighs through my house and through the unpassing hours, but I douse my rooms in jasmine scent for it's too dark here for flowers. The damp warped woodwork sighs forlorn and it cries for you when you're gone. But there are no tears in my eyes, my love. I've sworn to pretend to be strong. Your hands are never where I want them. Yours is a fleeting touch. It lingers only seconds here, but seconds are enough to open all the long locked doors into palaces long dormant, gardens eternal and castles all opulent adornment. And I would be the goddess of the golden hall, commanding heavenly mayhem, more terrible than the world has ever known, destroying want from my pearly throne. I'd illuminate cities in a maddening joy and destroy the world for my beautiful boy. They would tremble then, to see all that I am, powerful and beautiful and magnificent rare. But your lips are never where I want them. Your eyes are never where I want them. They do not rest on me. And acknowledging the promise that you have made, I quietly take my leave. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's gorgeous. That's the noise a poet wants to hear at the end of oh, the poem. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I, love, the, I love the last couple of lines to that. They read that. You tied it all together beautifully. That was great stuff, that Joe. Really, oh, thank, thank really you. good way of finishing off what could be the end of the session. Yes. <laughs> well, if everyone hears the tingle saying spoke a label, then you kick in again. We know we've got another poem, but no, <laughs> <laughs> we should leave it a surprise at the moment. I don't know, we don't know. So, but mm -hmm. seriously, Joe, it's been a pleasure today. I really, really enjoyed this. No, thank you. It's been it's, absolutely wonderful. It's been a great chat today. So, hang around. I need to chat to you off mic as I always do to everybody else. But as Don Carlos at Impact Wrestling says to everybody, stay safe and stay over. We'll see you all soon. Spoken, mate.